Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Strong statement in week one from Oregon State. Huge TV audience. The TV numbers are out. It was the seventh highest rated college football game of the weekend of week one. Uh, 3.2 million viewers on Sunday taking in Oregon State's season opening win over San Jose State. I thought DJ Uyangalele looked pretty good. The defense just totally subdued San Jose State. Here to talk about it. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. Did you have a sense of how many eyeballs you were going to have on you for the game, or is that just a benefit, fringe benefit? Yeah, you know, we thought we'd have some people watching, right? I mean, the Sunday game, uh, NFL hadn't started. We were hopeful that uh, people were going to be checking out. Obviously, wasn't our number one thought and focus, but it was nice it played out the way it did. Yeah, you don't think, like, when you're getting dressed that day, you're not thinking, hey, there's going to be 3 million people watching me here, so i got to be in my best outfit. You know, it's a fine line, like, with your players. You want them excited about playing on a big stage and people watching at the same time. That's the last thing you want them thinking about when they're getting ready and lacing up in the locker room and how many people are going to watch them. Yeah, that's a fine line because you want your guys relaxed, right? But you want them focused. You want them to uh, play loose and free, but you also want them to be task-oriented. Like, there is a uh, a little bit of a balance going on there with coaching. Are you a big pregame speech rah-rah guy, or who gives the pregame speech? Yeah, no, I, I don't give the pregame speech. I mean, I feel like the work's been done up to that point. Uh, these guys do a good job kind of rallying together in the locker room. There's prayer before. They get a little hyped before they take the field, and I think that works just fine. DJ Uyungalele, really nice game. Five touchdowns in total, three passing, uh, two rushing. I, I thought the game plan looked – he looked like he was comfortable. Uh, how intentional was that? How did, did that unfold about as you thought it would? Well, I don't know if I thought it would. We were confident with it because a lot of what we you know, ran, plays we called in that game, were stuff we had worked on really throughout the month. I mean, this was heavy amount – of, you know, we call it fall camp install of base stuff, and um, he did. He looked comfortable out there. Uh, he contributed a little bit to the plan on what he likes the best and what, you know, what calls and stuff. And, yeah, I thought he, he was really efficient, knew where he was going with the ball. The protection helped him out. Run game was there. Uh, hopefully, again, we want to keep that going throughout the year. Help me out with this or help our listeners out. They're watching your games. You know, there was a couple times pre-snap I see DJ kind of pausing coming to the line of scrimmage. It looks like he's changing the play. It looks like he's checking you guys into the right run play. What are we seeing when that's happening? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of that is exactly, you know, he calls two plays in the huddle sometimes, and he's going from one play or the other. Sometimes he's saying, more or less, we're good. We're going to call. We've got the play called, and we're going to stick with it. Uh, There's times he's adjusting a protection uh, one way to the other. Sometimes he's just... We're calling it disregard. He, he's saying a whole lot of nothing up there. doesn't mean, mm. mean anything. So there's some gamesmanship with it. Um, but he does run and pass. He's got some options if he sees a better look. We used to do that in baseball. We'd have dummy calls, you know, things that were verbal. Yeah. And then the sign would come out, and it literally was, you know, did the coach have his right hand in his back pocket or his left hand? That dictated what was happening. And you see coaches on the sideline. San Jose State was playing around with – you know, they had this shield they were holding up. They had multiple quarterbacks giving signals. Like, how much of that stuff do you think is just overkill? 
Well, it's getting there. I mean, I will say, this was a few years ago. I won't say who, but I was confident that they were picking our signals. When I was calling mm-hmm. plays at UW, a team in the league, I, they were known for picking signals. And so you do. You get worried about that, and you want to take precautions. Uh, and we do the same stuff kind of here. we got multiple signalers from the sideline, and we got dummy signalers going, and we're saying disregard at the line of scrimmage. So, I mean, it's, it's a part of it, but it's gotten – I'm not ready to bring back the shields and covering our, covering our signalers. Yeah, like because there's a pe- level of paranoia that becomes a distraction because you want to focus on your stuff. But so when people are picking off signals, are they videotaping things and then trying to pick up tendencies, or what? How are they doing that? Getting game film? Yeah. You, well, I mean, you can the TV copy some. You can get some signals from the sideline, right? They're always like flashing the head coach, and if he's by the yeah. signaler, and then from the TV copy, I got one pulled up of a game in the league right now. I'm watching off a TV copy because you can gain some information and see a signal that's not just on the on the tape of 22, um, and so you can log this stuff, but I, I think it's a little bit overkill. I, I watch the games, and by the time the offense has called a play, they're in the huddle. The defense needs to get a play called or what they're going to defend them. They don't got time to process seeing a signal and then three seconds later throw a defensive uh, call out there. Jonathan Smith with us, Oregon State football coach, 1-0 on the season. Um, I thought your defense, I mean, help me out here. I I want to say, and I know it's a small sample size, but I want to say that your defense looked as good as I've ever seen in game one, like in your era. Yeah, I, I concur. I mean, I thought we tackled really well. And that's what you're always looking at. Game one, you know, first time doing live tackle for that many snaps. Uh, they did. They played with great leverage, played team defense. I thought they executed a plan to contain the quarterback. That guy's a good player. He can run around, make plays. He can throw it. So our pass rush plan they executed really well and forced the guy to sit in the pocket. Didn't give up a bunch of explosive plays in the pass game. I mean, SC, they threw the ball over their head a few times. We wanted to avoid that. And so it was. It was a really good, complete game played. Um, plenty still, like small details to clean up. And each each week, offenses in college football are different. Uh, but for, a, like I say, a first game on the road, really both sides, but defensively was really pleased with it. I'll tell you something else that felt new is I was standing on the sideline with the San Jose State athletic director before the game, and he was pointing to the stands, and he said, we're going to have a sellout today. It was their first sellout in the stadium as it's now constructed, and he pointed to the orange, and he said, look at all the visiting fans. Look at the Bay Area Beaver fans that showed up, or look at the Beaver fans that came from other places on Labor Day weekend. What does that mean to you, to look up there? Because it wasn't like that in year one or two, was it? No, no, it wasn't in year one or two. I will say the last few years, yeah, especially Bay Area, Beaver Nation's traveled well. It was so awesome for our guys to take that field pregame and see so much orange in that section of the stadium. I was even talking to a couple coaches, well, if by chance this goes to overtime, we're going to play it. If we get to choose, this is the end zone we're going to play in because it was. It was packed with Beavers, and uh, glad we were able to, to get a win for all those that came down. Aiden Childs got in the game, and it was at a point when the game was kind of, you, you guys had it in hand, but he came in and he had a real drive. And ball comes out of his hand, it looks beautiful, he looks dynamic on the field. How important was it for you guys to get him a series that felt like it was a live series? Yeah, we, we definitely wanted to, and so we got the opportunity to get him in the game and not just hand the thing off the whole time. And, and he did, he threw a couple strikes, he was first place he's in, he's moving his feet. Uh, goes to the crosser, which is kind of second in his read, throws a strike, pulls the ball on a kind of a zone read play, gets some yards, and 
ends up throwing another strike to the tight end down the middle of the field. So that was he, – he is a good player, and we do. We want to force the issue as much as we can to get him experience because uh, the sky's the limit with him. Yeah, I mean, I, I literally in the press box, people were like, "Whoa, this kid's gonna be good." I'm like, "He's good now. Like, look, yeah. look at him now. He's you know, and he's not. He's 17. No, he, he's still, he is young, but he won't play young. I'll just tell you, he's no. got a, he's just instinctive out there because he is so athletic. He's got a really good arm, but it's not just having a strong arm. He takes some off some throws when he needs to underneath where you want to be a passer of the ball. He does it, uh, recognizes some coverage and can adjust, moves his feet. Uh, the moment hasn't been too big for him, not just in this first game, but like scrimmages and competitive situations. And and so I uh, love his work ethic. He's well-liked on the team. He's got a lot going for him. All right, Jonathan Smith is with us. You're going to open, reopen the stadium, west side. You've seen it. Uh, you know, a lot of media have seen it, but it's going to be the first time you're going to see it with a capacity crowd against UC Davis. Like, you know, give us an idea of how cool it is to see that stadium right now. Yeah, it's fun. I'm sitting in my office right now, so I'm looking out my windows. They get the jumbotron on and the test and all that. Even at night, they're messing with the lights, right? So the lighting show and all this, uh, getting settled, uh, actually painting and doing a little bit more on the east side here. So it's got some cool, cool look to it. It's going to be a blast. I mean, it's been a lot of work. It's been a long time coming to complete Research Stadium on the on the west side, and it'll be fully completed come Saturday when Beaver Nation packs this place and we put on a good performance. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys play. What do you want to get out of week two against UC Davis? Yeah, you know, I kind of challenged the team. We we need to improve from game one to game two. And we've got some things on tape that we uh, got exposed on. We got a punt blocked, right? We got to tighten up that detail. There's some things that uh, on both sides of the ball that we missed that we now we've got on tape that we got to make sure we're getting we're getting better. Uh, we want to we'll play efficient, physical ball. Our penalty end was too high. We want to tighten that up. So there's a bunch that we want to clean up and then come out with great en- energy and, and execute. Give me an idea, because I see nine penalties, and give me an idea, what, what's a good penalty, what's a bad penalty in your mind? Yeah, I think, well, I don't know if there's ever good, but <laughs> we, we will live with some penalties during the play, not before the whistle, you know, or excuse me, before the snap and, and after the whistle. We, those aren't acceptable at all, uh, but we want to play a physical, competitive, challenging brand, and on to- at times, you know, that's going to draw a flag here or there. Again, we're not... Still want to tighten up our technique and all of this, but we do want to play a brand where it's physical, and there's going to be occasions where, you know, a flag comes out during the play. I, you know, I, I kept talking all off season about the loss of leadership with Jack Coletto, Jaden Grant, some of these guys that have been around forever going out of your program, but it looks like you've got, at least from game one, there were some more vocal players out there that I hadn't noticed being vocal before. Is there a guy or two that comes to mind when I say that? Did you see? some leadership in game one that you really liked? Uh, you know, I liked the, I thought the offensive line. I mean, she was, three of our captains are on that crew, and I thought they played at a high level, set the tone. Levin Good, Joshua Gray, Tolley. Um, you know, the other half captains of Catan and uh, um, Hodge did some solid things defensively. I think true leadership shows up, too, through some adversity. And let's face it, we just didn't have a ton in, in game one. I thought we handled business and all of that, and there was a maturity to that. But once this adversity comes, and it's it's coming, uh, we, uh, we'll see how we handle that. I'm confident with the group we've got, leadership-wise, understanding that they've been around the block, seeing other leaders come through this program, 
and and we've got more than just five. I mean, we've got way more than that. You should, I think I said it earlier, but on the press conference when we announced the captains, we had a bunch of guys getting votes, double digits, like 10, 15 votes for guys. we got a, a lot of guys with good influence. Um, that it's their time to shine on the leadership side. You mentioned Katan Aladapo. Uh, he comes into the post-game news conference. i got to tell you, he is uh, probably the most eloquent speaker that I've ever heard in a post-game news conference in a football team. The guy, he has got it. Like I, I could see that guy being someday. He could be governor somewhere. He could be a, you know, he could be a football player. He could be an agent. He could be commissioner of the NFL. Like I, you know, tell me a little bit about him away from the field. Yeah, yeah great story. You know, he walked on here, 2018, uh, kind of local up there outside of Portland. Um, and it took him a year or two to kind of sort things out in his classroom, on the field. You know, his, his body continues to change, get bigger, stronger. But I think he's grown to just being a mature, humble, understands kind of life outside of just, you know, football and being in the deep third and cover three. That's why I think the leadership part, the guys really respect his story because he overcame the first couple of years. He wasn't, you know, starting from the get-go. He's running on scout team. He struggled a little in school, and now he's a college graduate. Uh, He's just got a great story that guys respect. And bright orange hair to go with it. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan Smith is with us. Uh, all right, so before uh, before we end this, and I cut you loose, give me an idea because you get an opponent in this week that plays in the big sky. Ideally, you want to work through some things, but you don't want to get too deep into the playbook or get too deep in the weeds showing kind of what, what you're about, right? Like you've got bigger probably tougher games, maybe more complex games. Is that the best way to put it down the pipeline? So how do you work on stuff but not show too much? Yeah, you know, again, the ultimate, we, we're, we're trying to win the game. And so we put a list of plays and concepts that we think will be successful against these guys without putting too much thought of, like, oh, we're trying to hold on to this week three, week four. And I've kind of always done it that way. I'll say, though, you know, you get into some games um, where, well, maybe a player or two is not needed, and then you hold on to it, and it gets saved for later. But across the country now, I mean, look at the clock rules, and the games are shortening a little bit, and you see it every year, FCS program went in. And so they've got our full attention. This is a proud group. These guys score a bunch of points. They did in their opener. You look at their last games last season, about half, half of them, they're scoring close to 50 points. Um, so they got our full attention, and we're going to need to play well, and we'll use everything we can to win. All right, Coach, uh, really, really strong week one performance. I mean, it was really solid. I mean, I think I look around the conference. Conference goes 12-0 and in week one, 13-0 overall. Um, I think it's going to be that kind of year. I think it's, it's going to be a dogfight. Yeah, it was good you know, for the league in general, everybody uh, finding a way to win. And, you know, just on our end, there's no question that going on the road against a team that I thought played toe-to-toe with SE for a lot of that mm-hmm. game, and then, you know, that that program's gone to bowl games multiple years. We felt really good leaving that place, but that's a solid win to start our season and definitely want to keep it going. All right. Uh, have a good week, and uh, I will catch up to you, and, and thanks for giving us your time. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, John. Thanks, man. All right. Take care. There he is, Jonathan Smith. Oregon State football coach Beavers uh, will be hosting UC Davis on Saturday at the newly reopened and renovated Reeser Stadium. This is not like a mattress store, new grand reopening. They've actually redone the stadium, and I think it'll be a sight to see, and I hope the television coverage captures it. All right, some parting thoughts coming up. you got the BFT statewide.
Good stuff from Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. Love that we're getting him on every week. Uh, great interviews on today's show. We talked uh, with the Beavers football coach, also Spencer McLaughlin, talked about Oregon's matchup with Texas Tech. Uh, later in the week, we will uh, go to Wyoming to check with Ryan Thorburn, who is also uh, uh, you know, somebody who covers Wyoming sports. He saw Texas Tech. I want to ask him how Tyler Shuck looked. I want to ask him how what his sort of prognosis is for the uh, for the programs as uh, you're going to see this four team tournament. Essentially, it's a four team tournament. Portland State played Oregon. Now Oregon is playing Texas Tech. Texas Tech played Wyoming last week, and Wyoming's playing Portland State. So it's almost like the winners are now playing the two losers, as Texas Tech got upset by Wyoming. And then uh, beyond that, we will have, um, you know, is there like now a, a winner's bracket that will come out of this or not? But uh, Bruce Barnum, the Portland State coach, kind of gave us some prognosis for what he thinks is going to happen on Saturday at the end of yesterday's show. And, Stephen, were you at all surprised that Bruce Barnum kind of offered that he expects to, that, that uh, Bo Nix will be on the sideline? And enjoying a uh, a blowout victory after uh, after uh, uh, about the third quarter. Yeah, I was a little shocked by it because you know he he's a guy that would know better than most just by watching film and being out there, uh, you know, coaching every single season. And for him to go out and say that about you know a Texas Tech team that he just watched because Wyoming is their next opponents, and then going out there and seeing him against Oregon as well, I, it is shocking because Texas Tech had a lot of hype around them. At the start of the season, so it, it's interesting to hear that. But you know, you go off of what you saw in Week One as well, and it, it makes a lot of sense. Like Wyoming just didn't show up in that game against Wyoming. They got out to a big lead, and then they lost it and looked lost the rest of the game, especially in the second half and into the into the overtime. So, John, you know, I I was leaning Texas Tech at the start of the year. Even you know, if you ask me to start a Week One, who would I like? Texas Tech versus Oregon. I'd probably would have taken Texas Tech in the points, but right no, now, like I, yeah. I have a hard time thinking that that's the right play. And that Oregon's not going to go in there and win by double digits. Yeah, I th- Oregon. I think or- I think Oregon's going to go in there, and I think they are going to win handily. I think the question will be longer term for Oregon. You know, the the game. Some of the games that I had kind of circled as easier wins, like the Colorado game on September twenty third. Not so sure anymore, because Colorado doesn't look like a pushover. And it, you know, and Dan Lanning, like it or not, poked the bear a little bit with uh, Coach Prime and his program in Colorado as a community. And so I think there may be some pushback, especially from a program like you don't think that, like Dan Lanning wasn't talking about the the Coach Prime era of Colorado football when he said, "Hey, what have they won? You know, when when's the last time they mattered in the league? You know, did not since I've been here. Like he, he's not lying about the past. Colorado's been terrible." He's telling the truth. Like, he's not the only person that said that. But I think, you know, you're thinking about Coach Prime and this program. They're going to come out, and they are going to basically tell their players and coaches the same stuff that they've been preaching all off season. is in that, hey, it's us against the world. It's, a, uh, it's an Oregon program that, um, let's face it, is is one of the haves in major college football, playing against a Colorado program that is busy all spring and all summer telling everybody it's us against the world, 
and everybody's out to get us, and now is telling everybody it's personal with Nebraska. Oh, you better believe come September 23rd, if Colorado can somehow get through this this Nebraska and Colorado State back-to-back with two wins, and they are sitting at 3-0, and and Oregon can get through beating Texas Tech and and be sitting in a position where it's 3-0, and you better believe the game day's coming to Eugene. Like, how do they how do they not go to Eugene after seeing the TV ratings for Colorado and uh, and TCU in Week One? Hundred percent, they'll be in Eugene, and it'll be very very fun because you know if Colorado is to somehow you know go undefeated and be three and zero and end up beating Oregon, you know Dion's going to be talking about that comment that Dan Lanning made. And you know, what, what have we won? Well, we just beat you. And, you know, again, Dan Lanning didn't say anything wrong. We've all said this about Colorado. We've all thought this. Because before Coach Prime, you know, they got to the Pac-12 title game the one year. They lose to Washington under Mac, or, uh, Mike McIntyre. And, and that's it since they've joined the Pac-12. They've been, you know, the worst team in the conference. So they haven't really won anything. And when they were rumored to be leaving to the Big 12, John, a lot of a lot of people were talking and you know calling in saying, well, the Pac-12 is not losing anything with Colorado. Like that doesn't move the needle because they've done nothing in the conference. So there was no lies said by Dan Lanning, and I have no problem with it. But of course, you know, I, I want to see it. I want to see three and Oregon taking on three and Colorado. I mean, that is must-watch TV, and you know that game day is going to be there. They want to get to Eugene anyways. Perfect time to get there when Coach Prime's there. Yeah, I think that would be a huge draw. Of course, Oregon would have to beat Texas Tech and then beat Hawaii at home to set up that game with Colorado. Colorado, again, has Nebraska this week. Tougher matchup, but I kind of feel like the Nebraska program would need Colorado to come, obviously, to come back down to earth. But Nebraska would also need to be a little more dynamic. I just didn't see it in their week one game against Minnesota. It looked like 1985 Big Ten football. It didn't, to me, have the feel of, you know, dynamic, can you put up 40 or 50 points football. But, again, I'm going to point back to something. Keep an eye this week on Nebraska because they have to be salivating looking at the run defense of Colorado. Colorado's defense gave up 7.1 yards per carry. You don't win games giving up seven yards a carry. It was remarkable that Shador Sanders and that offense created 45 points and allowed them to get out of there with a win. Now, Colorado's going to make some adjustments, but I I guarantee you Nebraska's going to come out and say, hey, we're going to run the ball. And to that point, in Nebraska's first game, 37 rushes, 19 passes. So you know that they are going to – Matt Rule, good coach, really good coach in the college game. You know he's going to see that and say – we're not going to throw the ball 50 times or whatever, like t- 40, 50 times like TCU did. We're going to go in and try to pound the rock and slow the game down, keep Shadour off the field. I think that's one of the things is we talked about the Colorado offense. If you can keep them off the field, they can't score. So, you know, you know Nebraska's going to slow it down. It's going to be a contrast of styles from week one to week two for Colorado. How do they adjust to that? We'll see. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Other big games in week two, uh, I'm going to give you a chance to go to a game, Stephen. If I was sending you to a game, hypothetically, you can go to uh, Starkville, Mississippi for Arizona at Mississippi State. You can go to uh, Tempe to see Oklahoma State play Arizona State. Or you can go to Berkeley and see Cal host Auburn. Which three of those which of those three games would you love to have a 50-yard line seat for? I think Cal Auburn. And it's kind of shocking to me that that's the way it is, but I you know, we talked about the 
the depth of the conference, Cal looked real good against North Texas, and they were running you know, a lot of up-tempo stuff, something that Justin Wilcox doesn't do very much. Now, uh, Sam Jackson, the quarterback, got injured, so they were playing the backup Ben Finley. We'll see if that happens. But you know, Cal was looking different offensively, and so I want to see how that adjusts against an Auburn team with Hugh Freeze that they're going to want to score a lot of points and get up and down the field as well. I, I think we could be into the, you know, seeing some, you know, fireworks in that game, and it's going to get weird late night there in Berkeley. So I, I think I think Cal Auburn is the game I'd want to go to. Uh, another game that's got my attention, obviously Washington State hosting Wisconsin at Martin Stadium. It's going to be a big game in Pullman, and certainly a Big Ten versus. Washington State matchup. Not a Big Ten versus Pac-12. Big Ten against Washington State. Washington State not invited to the Big Ten Conference. You better believe Jake Dickert's going to sell that to his team. But is Washington State good enough to pull off another win against Wisconsin? I think they're live. I think they're live in this game, John. You know, uh, Wisconsin with Luke Fickle now as the head coach, former Cincinnati coach. They want to run a little more up-tempo. That's not really the style of play they've ever had. So, you know, I don't know if they're ready to do that, to go on the road and play a team like Washington State in a tough environment. I think Washington State has a chance to win this game. And you're right, man. I, I cannot wait to see that environment and how the players react. Because, like you said, Jake Dickers is going to get those guys going and going to say, hey, look, this is a team in the Big Ten. They didn't want us. They don't want us here. And uh, you know, we're going to play that motivation. I think Washington State could be uh, very live in that game. I uh, am looking forward to that one. I'm also curious about Utah going to Baylor. Uh, Cam Rising getting the green light to practice this week. Andy Ludwig, the coordinator at Utah, saying good to have Cam back. Uh, they're a different team with Cam Rising at quarterback. I think, you know, I, I have so much respect for what Kyle Whittingham and Utah's coaching staff does. Like, they are better than most at just finding a way. And I think they found a way to beat Florida in week one. If they're with Cam Rising in week two at Baylor, look out. Uh, big game for Utah in a huge season for the Pac-12. We'll go. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.